morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Colossians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 1. Uh, so again, Rex mentioned it earlier and he's doing announcements, but if you don't have a Bible uh, and you would like one, if you, go, if you raise your hand, we have people in the back, they'll bring you one. Uh, and again, we, it's just something we like to do. We encourage everybody to open your Bibles just to see that when we're preaching uh, from it, we're not making this up. Uh, it's written in there so you can see it with your own eyes. Um, you see that that's actually God's word. All right, so again, we value that. Uh, so Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and I'm going to start in verse 15 and then go through verse 22. Uh, so I'm, I'll begin uh, just by reading this passage. So Colossians 1, 15. Uh, he's the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right. And with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, so much has been said this morning. We've brought uh, praises and prayer requests before you. And God, again, we just echo all of those things right now. And right now, God, I just pray that we'd be focused on you. And God, speak to us from your word. May your Holy Spirit be present within us, uh, just illuminating the truth of your word to us. And God, help us this morning to become more like your son. God, we may echo our words back to you in praise. May you change us this morning, God. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so when I was in high school, there was a certain experience that happened, I would say, relatively frequently, and I absolutely hated it. And most of you probably will know what I'm talking about as soon as I say it. Uh, but it was getting called the principal's office. Um, we've probably all been there at some point. Some of us, hopefully, uh, not more than others. But uh, kids, you probably know what I'm talking about as well. Um, but I would just be sitting in class, doing whatever, taking notes, teachers, doing whatever. And then the secretary would come over the PA system and just say something like, uh, Mr. and Mrs. or whoever, uh, could Landon Shafter please come to Mr. Hannock's office? That was our principal at the time. And it didn't matter how many times that happened. Every single time I heard those words, like, my heart sank. And just the thoughts running through my head, it was just, oh, no. No, this is, no, this is not good. Instantly, just fear was struck in my heart. Because all I could think about then was, why am I being called to the principal's office? What did I do wrong? Like, what am I getting in trouble for? Uh, and so that, that walk down to the office, whether it was just a few feet down the hallway or whether it was on the other side of the school, it was the longest walk ever. Because again, the whole time, the only thing in my mind is, why am I in trouble? What is he going to say to me? Like, what did I do wrong? And so as terrifying as the walk down there was, though, the scariest moment was when I actually got there and I had to kind of peer my head into the office and kind of knock on the door and 
say, uh, you wanted to see me, my voice is quivering, you know, I'm really nervous. Um, and that was the scariest moment because in that moment, like, I actually had to step into his presence. Before, I was just thinking about it. Now, I'm actually there, and all of a sudden, he's right there, and I have to step into his office, just me and him face to face. I don't know what he's going to say to me. And again, all I could think about was, what did I do wrong? Now, if you knew me in high school, I was a pretty good kid. I never did anything uh, too bad to deserve too severe of discipline. Um, and so I knew that in my head. I was like, man, I know I didn't do anything like crazy bad, so I can't imagine I'm getting in too big of trouble here. But still, I didn't know. Because at the same time, I knew that I wasn't perfect. All right? I was not uh, above reproach. I could still be blamed for some things. And so the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, man, maybe he heard about that slightly off-color joke I told yesterday, or maybe he heard like me say something just slightly disrespectful about a teacher a couple days ago. Like, I don't know, whatever it was, I had all those things running through my head, and I knew deep down that I was guilty of at least something, and that if he knew about that or found out about that, then he could punish me, and he would be perfectly right and just to do so. On top of that, he had the authority and the power and the right to do that because he was the principal. He ruled over the school. That was his job, to maintain order uh, and punish any wrongdoing. And so I knew that. And I knew that, again, there were things I was guilty of that he could rightly and justly punish me for. And so for that reason, I can tell you, getting called down to the principal's office every single time was just a fearful experience. Now, most of you have probably experienced that at some point when you were in school, or your kids, if you're still in school. Hopefully you don't experience that too much. But, or maybe it's not even the principal. Maybe it's like somebody else. Uh, maybe it's your boss. Your boss says, hey, can you step down to my office a little bit? I need to talk to you for a second. Instantly, what are you thinking? Oh, no. Like, what am I in trouble for? Instantly thinking about all the things you could be in trouble for. And then you step into his office, and for at least a little bit, it is just terrifying. Kids, maybe it's your parents. Your, does your parent ever like, come to you, knock on your, the door of your room and say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And it might not be anything bad, but instantly the only thing you can think of is, oh, no, like, I'm in trouble. This is not good. I don't know. I don't want to do this. Right? Because we all know in those times, we can all think of things that we're guilty of, and think, like, those things that we could be getting in trouble for from those people or with the authority to punish us. So in thinking about this, uh, I think about this all the time, but think about as scary and as unsettling as it might be to step into the principal's office, to get called down there, and to sit in his presence, that man with all that authority and that power. Think about how scary it will be on that day when we will enter into the presence of our God, when he will call us into his presence, and we will have to stand before him face-to-face physically. Think about how terrifying that will be. It's not the principle. The principle is scary. He's got authority. And he's, got, he's got some power. But he, he's just a man. He's a human. Right? He's imperfect as well. Right? Our God, however, the infinite, holy, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful creator of the universe who spoke the earth into existence, who, again, is infinitely holy, he will call us into his presence. And I'm willing to bet that that's a lot scarier than a principle. 
Because again, see, our God is so infinitely and perfectly holy that one sin against him is worthy of infinite condemnation and wrath from him. So a lot of people will say, like, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I've never killed anybody, as if that's the measuring stick for what a, a good person is. But we, people always say that, like, I've never, I've never killed anybody. I've never done anything that bad. But when we say that, we, we're failing to recognize just how holy our God is. That, again, he's so holy that any sin, one sin against him, is worthy of infinite wrath and condemnation from him. And so unlike me stepping into the principal's office, being pretty good or really good isn't good enough. Holy and perfect is the only thing that's acceptable and good enough. Anything besides holy and perfect will be cast out of God's presence. Because anything that is not holy cannot stand in God's holy presence. And so with that in mind... If all of us in here today were to be called into God's presence, whether by death or by Christ's return, what will the verdict be? What will he say to us? In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul addresses uh, this very issue. And so again, hopefully you're already there. Um, But specifically in verses 21 and 22, that's where I'm going to focus on today. Uh, So we read 15 through 22. And if you might have noticed, in verses 15 through 22, those six verses, Paul talks about like some really big and grand and ethereal concepts regarding Christ. Right? I mean, look what he says. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created. Um, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't know about you, but I read those things, and I'm kind of like... Paul, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm at this level, you're at this level, whatever you're saying is way above me, right? So he's saying all these grand and big things about Christ that are hard to comprehend. And so I think it's easy when we read that passage to just get lost in that and just say, like, I, I don't know what you're saying, Paul. Like, I'm, I'm checking out mentally, like, whatever. This is impersonal. It's just kind of a big idea. I don't know. I'm out. But then notice what he does in verse 21. He begins verse 21 with just two words, and you. And so in those two words, he goes from this big, grand idea, and he makes it intensely personal. It's almost like in verses 15 through 20, he's like turned around on the whiteboard, and he's lecturing, like, all right, Christ, he's ahead of all things, and he's like making notes and everything, and his class sitting back here just trying to follow him, and they're like, you lost us, Paul. So he's like, in your lecture, and in verse 21, he says, and you. It's almost like he just turns to his audience, looks them in the face, points at them, and says, and you. And so he gets really personal really fast. And so in this verse, when he makes this personal, he's making it personal for us as well. And so what God in this verse is saying to the Colossian readers back then, he is saying to us now. And so as you listen to these words, make it personal. When he says, and you, he's talking to you personally. And so look what he says about you, about us personally. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So what does Paul say about, he makes it personal, and you, right off the bat, and what does he say about us right away? Not very positive thoughts. 
You were alienated and hostile in mind. Everyone's big on being politically correct these days. This is not politically correct. I mean, this, that, that could get you thrown out of different places in our society that, to tell people that they are alienated and hostile in mind, but that's exactly what Paul says. And so think about his words here, to be alienated and hostile. To be alienated from someone or something is to be uh, estranged from something. It's to be completely and utterly cut off from fellowship and intimacy with someone. And so Paul says that before you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you were alienated from God. That is, you were completely cut off from God, cut off from fellowship with him, cut off from intimacy with him alienated. On top of that, he says that we were hostile in minds towards God. I, I cannot think of a more violent and I can't think more of a more violent word than hostile to be used here. All right, think if, if one of you is hostile towards me right now, you're not just like sitting in your seat under your breath muttering uh, words against me. Right? If you're hostile towards someone, you're not just uh, slightly annoyed or mildly frustrated with someone. Right? If you're hostile, if, like, if somebody, one of you is hostile against me, you are being held back by six people right now because you're coming at me, right? spitting mad. You're ready for a fight. That's hostility. I mean, to be hostile is to be an enemy to someone, to be completely opposed to someone, just ready for a fight. Hostility. Paul says that before we became believers in Jesus, we were hostile towards God. We are completely cut off from him, have no fellowship with him, and we're hostile towards him. I can't give you much worse news than that. But Paul goes on to say one more thing. He says, not only were you alienated and hostile in mind, but in that condition of alienation and hostility, you were doing evil deeds. You were enslaved to sin. He says elsewhere in the book of Ephesians that you were dead in your sin and that you were a child of wrath. Right? A child of wrath. These things were true of us before we became believers in Jesus. And scripture is clear elsewhere that this is true of all people who are outside Christ. Right? When it comes down to it, there are two kinds of people. Those who are alienated and hostile towards God and those who aren't because they've believed in Christ. And so if you're a believer, think back to yourself before you knew Christ. In this state of alienation and hostility as a child of wrath, Imagine yourself in that state then, being called into the holy presence of God. That time when you'll stand face to face with him in that state. Our God who is so perfectly and infinitely holy that one sin against him is worthy of infinite condemnation from him. Now, you're in his presence now. Listen, we on our own, deserve nothing but the just wrath of God. None of us are perfect. None of us are holy on our own. Every single one of us outside of Christ, if we were to step into the presence of God, would deserve nothing but his wrath. And it would be perfectly just for him to do that. Here's the good news. 
I, I am getting into the good news, don't worry. But Paul gets the good news as well in verse 22. And so look at verse 20, actually, not even verse 22, look at verse 21. There's good news in verse 21. It's in there, but it's hidden. All right? So notice he says, and you who once were. So to give you a brief English lesson, if you don't remember, if it's been a while since you've been in school, once were is past tense. Okay? So in other words, this used to be true of you. This used to be your condition, but it no longer is. You used to be alienated and hostile in mind. You used to be doing evil deeds. You used to be a child of wrath. You used to be dead in sin, but you no longer are. Right? Something changed. That is no longer your condition. Right? That's the good news. And so it's important that you notice those were there. Paul uses the past tense. You once were alienated and hostile in mind. And so what changed? Uh, verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. All right? Reconciled. Think of the word reconciled. It's to be brought back together. It's to be reunited. Right? Two sides that were at odds are now brought together in peace. And so think about that. Us, we were alienated from God. Again, completely cut off from fellowship and intimacy with him. And Christ reconciles us back to God. So that separation no longer exists. Right? Christ makes peace where there is hostility. The two sides that were enemies, that were completely opposed to one another, Christ now brings peace so that they are reconciled to one another. Paul says that is what happened to us. When we became believers in Christ, we have been reconciled from that state of alienation and hostility. And how does that happen? He uses the words, in his body of flesh, by his death. All right, so often we talk about uh, what it means to be a Christian. And we talk about, uh, especially around Easter, we say, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do you mean? And we say things like, well, I believe Jesus died for my sins, which is perfectly good. I don't want to tell you that it's not. That's a good thing to say, and we should say that. But sometimes that just becomes like our programmed response, and we forget what that means, and we forget what actually happened when Christ died on the cross for our sins. First uh, Peter two twenty four. If you want to turn there really quick, First uh, Peter two twenty four says, "He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin." And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Alright, Second Corinthians twenty one or five twenty one, excuse me. I know that's a very famous passage, very well known. Uh, says he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so and so what do these verses mean? Uh, Paul says in, in Colossians one, twenty two, right? You were reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. 1 Peter 2.24 says he bore our sins in his body. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin who knew no sin. All right, what does that mean? And so what that means is that when Christ died on the cross, he literally bore our sin on himself. To the extent that he... He literally became our sin. And so as he was dying there, being crucified, God the Father was pouring out his wrath that we were due onto Christ. 
Christ became our sin so that as he's dying, he's absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what we mean when we say Jesus died for our sins. And he didn't just die on the cross. He didn't just die for some of the sin, okay? It wasn't like, all right, I'll take, I'll take like 10% of your sins, and you've got to go 90%. Like, I'll only take part of it. No, it was the whole thing, all right? He drank the full cup of God's wrath on our behalf, all right? So that the wrath of God has now been exhausted, and there's no wrath left for us. So when Christ died on the cross for us, he died for our sin, past, present, and future. All right, past, present, all sin was paid for on the cross. Because Jesus became our sin. He bore that in his body on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, to say it another way, in using Paul's words in Colossians 1.21, uh, Jesus became alienated from God on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. Jesus experienced the hostility of God on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. And so because of that, we can become the righteousness of God. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says again, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so what does it mean to become the righteousness of God? Again, Colossians 1.22, look at the last part of that verse, Paul tells us. He said, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's the best news of it all. When, we, when it says that we become the righteousness of God, it's saying this, that we are now holy and blameless and above reproach in God's presence. Okay, so you see, when we are united to Christ by faith, he's credited with our sinful lives. We are credited with his perfect, sinless, righteous life. And so because of that, we now have the same standing before God the Father that Christ has. So you think of Jesus in the presence of God the Father. He has absolutely nothing to fear. He doesn't walk into God's presence thinking, man, I know I've done some stuff that's kind of shady. Like, I hope he doesn't know about that. No. He has nothing to fear. He is holy. He is blameless. He is above reproach. He can't be blamed for anything. And so the reality is that when we become believers in Christ, we are credited with the righteousness of Christ so that we now have the same standing before God that Christ has. Holy and blameless and above reproach. I've been thinking about this text for like four months leading up to this, just constantly reading those words over and over again in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? God now looks upon us as being holy. He looks upon us as being blameless. We are above reproach. He can't find anything any wrongdoing in us to point out. Not because of anything we have done or can do, but all because of what Christ has done.
So to give you a little bit of theology here, bear with me. Uh, this is known as the doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, it sounds like big words. It's not as confusing as it sounds. I'll explain it in a little bit. Uh, but this is one of the most important doctrines of the church. It's been said that this doctrine, this belief, uh, is the cornerstone of the church. It's the, kind of the main pillar. And if this falls, the church goes with it. All right, and so what it means is this, justification by faith. To be justified is to be declared righteous in God's sight. It's, it's to be acquitted, to be freed from all guilt and all condemnation. All right, so, so you think of a courtroom, just think of somebody who goes before a judge who is guilty, and then the, court, and the judge bangs his gavel down and says, not guilty, and he declares that over that criminal. That's what this means, that we are justified, we are declared righteous by God. He declares us free from the penalty of sin, and he looks upon us as having the righteousness of Christ. So justification, to be justified is to be declared righteous in God's sight. And how it happens? By faith. In other words, we are justified by God. We are declared righteous in his sight, in his presence. Not based on anything we have done. Not based on anything we could do. But based strictly on what Christ has done. And so when we personally put our faith in Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, his death on our behalf, his resurrection... We are united to him by faith so that his righteousness is credited to us and we are declared to be righteous and freed from the penalty of sin forever. This is the doctrine of justification by faith. And so think about that moment that you believed in Christ. This was declared over your life, right? In that moment, this is a momentary, instantaneous act of God in which he declares us to be righteous. Because think, that moment that you believed in Christ, you literally went from one second being alienated and hostile in mind, separated from God, due the wrath of God, believing in Christ, on the other side, you are instantly declared righteous for all time. Right? So that, as Paul says in Romans 8, Verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ experienced our condemnation so that we don't have to. Uh, this is all over scripture as well. The book of Romans, Paul talks about justification by faith all the time. Chapter, three, uh, verse, or chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 8.34, Paul says, It is God who justifies who is there to condemn. Who can bring any charge against those who God has justified? Right, so a little bit of application here. You think about your life. So often, as Christians, we're still susceptible to, to condemnation, right? One of the things Satan does is he heaps condemnation on us. He tries to tell us that we are not actually justified. We are not actually saved when in reality we are. All right, so what Paul says in Romans 8.34 is that it is God who justifies. It is God who declares us to be righteous. If he's the judge of the universe, the creator, all-powerful one, who can condemn? Who can overrule his ruling? 
That implicate nobody. It is God who justifies who is there to condemn. Who can bring any charge against God's children? Because God doesn't. And if God doesn't bring any charge against us, then nobody does. And this is the reality of justification by faith. That we who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, have now been reconciled in Christ's body of flesh by his death in order that we might be presented to God holy and blameless and above reproach. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, you're in here today, that is you. That is true of your life. You once were alienated and hostile in mind. You now are, however, holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. And so if that day comes today, whether by death or by Christ's return, that you are called into God's presence, he will have no wrath, no condemnation for you. Not because Christ has taken it all. So if you are in Christ, you can have confidence that when you stand in the presence of God, right, you can say to him, right, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? My, I have done nothing to deserve this before you. My hope is in Christ, his perfect work on the cross. Right? I will boast about nothing but Christ's work. Because in Christ, we are holy and blameless and above reproach before God. And so, again, if you are in here today, you are a believer in Christ, think on this daily. Uh, Martin Luther, a great uh, theologian in the 1500s, actually started the Protestant Reformation over this very issue, said that we, we never master this doctrine, we never master this belief that we are justified by faith. In other words, we never completely understand it and comprehend it, but we are always students of it. In other words, we must constantly sit under its teach, we must constantly ponder, it must constantly think about what it means that we are completely justified and declared righteous by our faith in Christ. He also said that we learn about this, we actually learn what this means in the fires of daily life. We cannot think on this enough, right, that we have been justified, we have been declared righteous in God's sight because of Christ's work on the cross. So I'm going to ask uh, the band to come forward, keep it relatively short today. Um, again, like I said, I've just been feeling this message weighing on me for months now as I would just read that passage, holy and blameless and above reproach. Just constantly saying those words to myself over and over again. And so we need to say those words to ourselves constantly, reminding ourselves that if we are truly in Christ, we truly are holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Now, that's talking to people who are Christians in here. And so the reality is that there is probably another group of people in here who are, are not Christians. You are not a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I'm telling you today on the authority of God's word that you are still alienated 
and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And that if and when you are called into the presence of our God, you will have nothing to say, and he will have nothing but wrath for you. Perfectly just and holy wrath, because that's what we've deserved. And so if that is you in here, if you, maybe some of us even call ourselves Christians, but if you have never personally believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, if you've never trusted in his perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection for your salvation, then again, I am urging you, pleading with you, believe in the name of Jesus and be saved. Because until you do, you have no standing before God except that of a guilty, condemned sinner. But if and when you do believe in Christ, you are now a beloved son of our God. And you now possess the perfect righteousness of Christ, right? God's one true son. And you now have the same standing before God that Christ has before him. And so if that is you in here today, as we sing this last song, think on these things. And I would urge you, if you, maybe you're sitting there and all of a sudden during the song, it just clicks in your mind and you're like, I get it, I believe. If you today for the first time have personally believed in Christ and trusted him for your salvation, do not leave this place without talking to somebody. Right, please come talk to me afterwards. If you don't want to talk to me, find another trusted person in here. All right, find Pastor X, find Pastor Dave. Do not leave here without talking to somebody. All right, because the stakes are high. All right, we'll all, we will all stand in God's presence, either presenting before him our own righteousness, which is so obviously flawed and falls so far short of his glory, or we'll stand before him presenting Christ's righteousness, perfectly holy and blameless and above reproach. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you now, knowing that even now as we pray to you, that we have no standing before you outside of Christ, that we have nothing to bring to you except Christ and his perfection and his righteousness. God, we know that we can't even draw near to you. We can't even step into your presence except by the blood of Christ. So God, now as we sing this last song, I just pray that your spirit would move in the hearts and the minds of everyone in this place. God, for those of us who are in Christ, may you remind us of who we once were before we knew you. Remind us that we were alienated from you, we were hostile towards you, we were stuck and enslaved to evil. And remind us that in Christ now, you have made us holy and blameless and above reproach before you. So God, now that we may stand before you and step into your presence with confidence, knowing that there's no condemnation for us, but only love and grace and mercy. Lord, may we respond this morning with worship. May we sit under this, uh, this teaching, God, this idea that you've justified us by faith constantly. May it direct our lives and constantly be on our minds as we go through our lives this week, Lord. 
And Father, I pray for those people in here who don't know you, who are still alienated and hostile in mind. Father, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would just do a work in them. God, bring them to yourself. Help them to come to know you and believe in you, that they might be saved, that they might be declared righteous in your sight. And so, Father, again, as we sing this last song, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and our minds. And it's in Christ's name I pray all these things. Amen.